Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. Good to see y'all this morning. Happy almost fall. I know I can't decide whether it's summer or fall, but I think it's about to be fall. So happy fall. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you so much that you've given us your precious son. And he's the reason we're all here this morning. We want to worship you. We want to give you all of our praise. We want to give you all of your glory. God, you deserve credit for every good thing in our life. God, we want to worship you today. And we want to say thank you. God, we want to learn about you today. We want to draw closer to you today. And we know that we can only do that because you're with us. And God, you, you send us your spirit. And God, that same spirit is the same spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you're our Father, you're our God. I pray, God, that you'll speak through me this morning. And I pray, God, that as we read your word, that we will hear what it is you want to say to us today, and that you will draw us closer to you. We love you so much, precious Lord, but it's only because you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our scripture passage today... If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 6, verse 1 through 16. Judges chapter 6, verse 1 through 16. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but uh, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, today we're continuing our series called Fear Of. We're looking at the different fears that we have, whether they're good fears or bad fears. The first week we looked at fear of rejection. That's a fear that's bad for us. We looked at the fear of the Lord. That's a fear that's good for us. Today we're looking at another fear that's bad for us, the fear of failure. The fear of failure can really limit us, can really paralyze us, can't it? Think about all the times you've been afraid of failure before in your life. Has it helped you or has it stunted you? This week I saw online an 11-year-old boy who lives in England. His name is Lewis. Now Lewis, he sent a letter to the coach of the Liverpool soccer team. Now, I don't know how much you know about Liverpool. Yeah, they're the home of the Beatles, but they're also home of a really great soccer team. And as a fan of a rival soccer team, I hate to brag on Liverpool, but I'm going to do it so you can understand who their coach is. Liverpool has one of the most successful soccer teams in all of Europe. Two years ago, they won the Champions League, which means basically they're the best team in Europe. Last year, they won the Premier League, which means they're the best team in England. Basically, if you didn't understand all that, they're really good. So that's part of why this voice in a letter to their coach, his name is Jurgen Klopp. And he sent him a letter expressing to Jurgen Klopp that he's nervous about starting secondary school. He's starting a new school, and he's nervous. Well, Jurgen Klopp, the coach of Liverpool, he sent a letter back to Lewis. And in it, he said, Hello, Lewis. Can I start by telling you a secret? I get nervous too. And he said later, I know it might be strange for a boy of your age to think that the Liverpool manager can feel the way you do, but I do. Now, for this little 11-year-old boy, it's unfathomable in his mind that a championship-winning coach can fear failure. But what did Jurgen Klopp say? He said, I get nervous too. I fear failure. We all fear failure. That's something that we all go through. But just as it was difficult for Lewis, an 11-year-old boy, to comprehend that this championship-winning coach fears failure, for us, it's difficult for us to understand and comprehend that the people God used in the Bible, the heroes of our faith, they were afraid of failure too. And Gideon is one of the prime examples of somebody that God used, but that also had a fear of failure. But we know from this story that God used Gideon to defeat the Midianites. But at this point in this passage that we just read, Gideon was afraid of failure. But we know that he moved over from that fear of failure. He overcame that fear of failure. So what I want us to look at today is how? How did he overcome that fear of failure that he had? Well, the first thing I think the passage shows us about how we can overcome our fear of failure is to do what? 
It's to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Look in verse 6. The Israelites, they haven't cried out to the Lord in over seven years. It's been a long time. And now they're finally crying out to the Lord for what? For help. Now you might say, Cody, that's an obvious first step to cry out to the Lord for help. I didn't need to come to church to hear that. Even though it's obvious that we should cry out to the Lord for help, it's amazing how much we neglect to cry out to the Lord for help. And the Lord, we would be amazed if we realized how eager he is to help us. We think of God as being someone who, uh, I don't really want to help them, but that's not true at all. The Bible says that he is on the edge of his seat. He's on the edge of his throne hoping that we will ask him for help. Think of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 30, verse 15 through 19. And this is just four or five verses, but as I read it, I want you to see how eerily similar it is to the passage that we just read. In Isaiah, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, and repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Isn't that exactly what's happened to the Israelites and judges? They're not depending on the Lord. They're not crying out to his help. Because of that, he's let them face the Midianites, the ones that he was helping them from. And now what are they doing? They're fleeing. They're fleeing just like Isaiah said we flee when we don't cry out to the Lord. And they're running up to the mountains just like Isaiah said. They're leaving their land and they're living like cavemen. They're going back in time essentially. They're not moving forward. They're moving backwards. That's where they are because they're not crying out to the Lord. But that's not all that Isaiah says. He says... In verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. Listen to this. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. As soon as he hears you cry out for help, he will answer you. It said, wait for the Lord. Now, when we cry out to the Lord for help, we say, okay, Lord, are you going to answer my prayer now? Are you going to help me right now? Now, God will help us in his time and in his way. And we might have to wait for it. We might have to be patient. And it may not look the way we thought it would look like when God helps us. But this passage is saying that we can trust that when we ask God for help, what will he do? He will give us his help. He wants to help us. He's eager to help us. Now, it's good that they cried out to the Lord for help. But it's bad that they cried out for help as a last resort. 
They exhausted every single option they had until they finally said, Lord, we need you. We need your help. And you know what? We often do the same thing, although we don't think of it that way. We often go throughout our whole day thinking, I can handle everything that I face, go up against. And if I ever come up against anything that I can't handle, then I'll ask the Lord for help. But God doesn't want to be the last resort. He wants to be the first resort. He doesn't want us to cry out to him every seven years, or every year, or every month, or every week, but every day. And not just at the ending of the day, at the beginning of the day. The very first thing you should do when you wake up is what? Ask the Lord for help. And everything you do throughout the day, you should be asking the Lord for help. As soon as you wake up, ask for his help. When you get up and you read your Bible, you might think, oh, I can understand this. But no, ask the Lord for help. Whenever I read my Bible, what am I doing? Dear Lord, please give me discernment and understanding as I read this. Because I know that on my own, I can't understand this the way that I meant to. I need your help. Every time I talk to someone, you can bet that when I talk to you, I've already prayed about it. God, please help me to be loving and kind and gracious and compassionate towards this person. Because on my own, I'm not those things. I'm selfish and I'm impatient. But God, you can help me to love people the way that you've called me to love them. When I get into a car, when it's time to drive, what do you do? You pray, God, help us. Please help us get to our destination safely. Please help us get back home safely. Every single thing you do, even while you're going to work, Lord, please help me shine for you today. Please help me work, not as if working for man, but as if working for the Lord. Everything we do, we should treat the Lord as our first resort for help, not our last resort, just in case we're not strong enough. Because can I tell you a secret? You're not strong enough. You need his help every day. We just say leaning on the everlasting arms. It doesn't say standing next to the everlasting arms in case I need them. It's leaning on the everlasting arms. I always need them. I'm in a posture of leaning on them all the time. If we want to overcome our fear of failure, we must first, as a first resort, cry out to the Lord for help. So what's the second thing we must do? The second thing we must do to overcome our fear of failure is let God define you. Let God define you. Now look in verse 10. Keep in mind that Israel has been sinning against the Lord and they've been failing over and over and over and over. Seven years is a long time. And they've been failing constantly through that. And yet, when God speaks to them, what does he say in verse 10? He says, I am the Lord, your God. If you asked me to define Israel, I would say failure. They're a failure. And yet, when God defined Israel, what did he say? My people. They're my people. He didn't define them as failure. He said, I'm your God. You're still my people. Think about Gideon. Gideon, when God called him, to do the good work that he was calling him to, Gideon said, well, you found the wrong guy, Lord. My family, my clan is the weakest, and I'm the weakest in my family. In other words, I'm the weakest of the weak. And yet, in verse 12, when the angel of the Lord, the one speaking the messenger for the Lord, what does he call Gideon? Mighty 
warrior. He doesn't say greetings, weakest of the weak. He says greetings, mighty warrior. Why does God tell them that they're his people? Why does God tell Gideon he's a mighty warrior? Because how you define yourself matters. I know we don't think it does, but it really does. For a long time, for years of my life, when I would fail or do something stupid, I wouldn't just say, I failed and I did something stupid. I would think of myself as a failure. I would think of myself as stupid. For instance, if I was driving and I missed my exit, I wouldn't think, that was idiotic. I would think, ah, you idiot. And I would say that to myself. I didn't think it was a big deal. But the more and more I did that, the more and more I said to myself, ah, you idiot. What do you think I began to feel like? An idiot. And in life, sometimes we feel like an idiot. Why? Because that's how we define ourselves. But that's not how God defines us. I don't call myself an idiot anymore. And the reason is because a few years ago, I heard multiple people saying, how you define yourself matters. How you talk to yourself matters. So I said, okay, I'm I'm not going to call myself an idiot anymore. And it was hard to break that habit. Every time I thought, oh, you idiot, I would say to myself, no, you're not an idiot. You just did something idiotic. You did something wrong. You failed, you messed up, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're an idiot. And now I hardly hear that voice in my head at all calling me an idiot. If someone calls himself an idiot, they'll feel like an idiot, but God doesn't call us idiots, does he? No. What does God call us? How does God define us? Now, I'm not giving you a comprehensive list, but I am giving you a list of some of the things that God says about us in the Bible. How does God view us as his people? Well, the Bible says that you are the apple of his eye. You're his child. You're his friend. You're beloved. You're called. You're salt of the earth, light of the world, the sheep of his pasture, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, his bride, his handiwork, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, redeemed, sought after, and as you just heard in this passage, mighty warrior. Did you hear the word idiot at all in that list? No, God never, ever calls us things like that. So why would we call ourselves things like that? How you define yourself matters. If one person spent the whole day saying, I'm an idiot, and another person spent the whole day saying, I'm the apple of God's eye, which one do you think will be afraid of failure? The one that says, I am an idiot. I'm a failure. But the one who says, I I failed but I'm still loved by God. God acknowledges that we fell. He doesn't deny it, and we shouldn't deny it, but he doesn't identify us by our failures. He identifies us as his people. Don't let yourself define you. Don't let the enemy define you. Let God define you. You will not overcome your fear of failure unless you realize who you are in God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's who we are. We're God's handiwork. And he created us for good things. And we can know that we're his creation. And that will us enable us to face our fear of failure. So what else should we do? We cry out to God for help. We let God define us. But we also let God send us. Let God send you. Like at verse 13 through 14. When God calls Gideon, what does he say? He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon responds the same way that we respond when God says that. We say, well, if the Lord is really with us, well, then why is all this bad stuff happening around us? If the Lord is really with us, then why is this happening? Why is there so much suffering and evil and pain in this world if he's really with us? And do you know what he says to us? Well, he says to us the same thing that he said to Gideon. He says, am I not sending you? Am I not sending you to help? Did you know that we're God's instrument? When, when God called the apostle Paul, do you know what he called Paul? In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul's my chosen instrument. And he says of you, you're my chosen instrument. What is an instrument? It's something that you use to accomplish something. It's something that you use. It's, in other words, it's a tool. Let's say that I'm, I'm building a fence or I'm doing some kind of construction work. Let's say that I have a piece of wood and I have a nail and I have a hammer. Now, let's just imagine that hammer could say to me, oh, that nail needs to be driven into that wood. I see a need, but what's Cody doing about it? What would I say to the hammer? I would say, am I not sending you? And what would I do? I would pick up the hammer, I would take the nail, and I would hit the nail with the hammer. And pretty soon, that need, that problem would be fixed. But the hammer on its own, by itself, would it be successful? No. How can the hammer be successful? When it's in my hands. Alone, can we be successful? Can we do what God calls us to do? No. But if we allow ourselves to be placed in God's hands, then we can go in the strength that we have because it's not about how strong we are. It's about how strong he is. And if you say it's about how strong I am, I need to be a bigger and better hammer. No, God says it's not about how strong you are. It's about the one that's swinging you. You're my instrument. I'm working through you. And like that hammer, we can look around and we can see all kinds of needs, all kinds of nails that need to be driven into wood. And we can ask, God, what are you doing about that hungry person? And God will say, am I not sending you? And we can say, God, what are you doing about that person sitting alone by themselves? And God will say, am I not sending you? And we'll say, God, what about that person that doesn't know you? That's never heard the good news of Jesus. And God will say, 
Am I not sending you? God sends us. We don't just have to look out in the world and see random problems. We can know that God created us, like I said, we're his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works that he prepared for us beforehand. And when God calls us to those good things, we're terrified. We say, I'm not strong enough. But God says, I've sent you. And if I've sent you, that means I will equip you. Have you ever heard the saying, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. God equips you. He strengthens you. He doesn't call you because you're strong. He calls you because he's strong. And he can equip you. And you're his instrument. You're his hammer. And he's the one swinging you. He's the one sending you. And when you know that, you don't have to be afraid of failure. Because like we saying earlier, God is the one swinging the hammer and our God can do anything but fail. He cannot fail. He's the one that's swinging you. He's the one that's sending you. Now in this passage, it's amazing when we read it because when we read it, we see the mighty warrior Gideon who God used to defeat the Midianites. And that we see him cowering in fear right here. We see that he's totally afraid. And yet for every fear that he brings up, what does God do? For every fear that he brings up, how does God respond to his fears? With himself. Every time Gideon says, I'm afraid, God says, I'm here. I'm sending you. I'll be with you. God responds with himself. And yet... Gideon still needs assurance. And we didn't read this, but if you read the rest of chapter 6, Gideon asked for three signs that God is really going to be with him, that God is really going to use him in this way, and that it's really God who's speaking to him. So God gives him three signs for assurance. And we might say, oh, it's easy for Gideon because he had three signs. Where are my signs? I haven't gotten any signs that God will be with me. Oh, yes, you have. You have. You've been given three signs. The first day, when Jesus went into the grave. The second day, when Jesus stayed in the grave. And the third day, when Jesus rose from the grave. Those are greater signs than any sign that Gideon received. Because when Jesus rose from the dead... What was God saying? God was saying, I will always be with you. God told Gideon, you will not overcome your fear of failure until you know that I'm with you. And through Jesus, we can know that not only did God come down to lay his life down for our sins, but he rose from the dead to be with us always. Remember what Jesus told his disciples And remember, we're his disciples. He said, behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. But later on in chapter 6, in verse 34, we see why God sent Gideon out and said, go in the strength you have. Because in verse 34, it says, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. We might say, oh, of course, Gideon could overcome his fear of failure when the spirit of the Lord came on him. But don't you realize when you believe in Jesus, the spirit of the Lord comes on you. That same spirit that came on Gideon, it's yours through Jesus. Think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Think about this. He said, 
the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead visits you every once in a while? No, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, which means that what is God doing? He's giving you the strength that you need. Through Jesus, God says, I'll always be with you. And through his spirit, he says, I'll give you the help you need. I'll give you all the strength you need, all the help that you need. And when we know that God is calling us to do those works, those good works that he's prepared for us beforehand, we're terrified. We're scared. God, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough for them. I'll fail. God says, through Jesus, I'll be with you. Through my spirit that lives in you, I'll strengthen you. I don't know what it is that God's called you to do. I don't know where it is that God's called you to go. I don't know who it is that God's called you to do. But I do know this. I do know this. God will be with you. And God will give you the strength for anything that he ever calls you to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we need your help. We need your help, God. We, we cry out to you for help right now, God. We need your help. We're not strong enough, but we know that you're strong enough, God. And God, I pray that we would not define ourselves by our failures or our own weakness, but define ourselves by who we are in you, God. And I pray, God, that we will not only know that you have sent us, but that we will go where you send us to go, knowing that we're not going commissioned by ourselves, but commissioned by you, God. You call us your people. You call us your special possession, your chosen people. God, I pray that as we walk out of those doors today and as we go out into the world and as we see needs throughout our community and the world, that we wouldn't just wait for other people to take care of them, but that we'll remember that you've sent us and you want to work through us and you want to help us. You want us to cry out to to you. So I pray, God, that we will. God, we love you. God, we can be afraid of failure just like every other person in the Bible has been afraid of failure. But God, you give us the faith that we need to go where you call us to do and do what you call us to do. And God, if you've called us to it, You will bring us through it. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.